This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to the Million Dollar Women Podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Day, and the Digital Marketing Manager at eWomen Network, and I'm hanging out with our Director of Star Power Studio and Podcast Producer, the one and only Walter Johnson Jr. Here at eWomen Network, we are on a mission, and that mission is to help one million women each achieve one million dollars in annual revenue. Let's do this. Here on this podcast, we interview million-dollar women about what it takes to join that seven-figure club. But here is the beautiful thing. Being a million-dollar woman is about way more than your net worth. It is a mindset, it is an attitude, and it's that cash in your bank account. It's the Million Dollar Women Podcast. Mahisha Dellinger's mantra is simple. Curly hair should be healthy, frizz-free, defined, and effortlessly fabulous. Consequently, as a beauty advocate and product innovator, Dellinger worked passionately to produce an award-winning line of organic hair care products for women and girls with natural waves, curls, and kinks. Frustrated with the lack of effective products for her newly natural curly hair, Dellinger left her post as marketing manager at Intel Corporation to pursue her passion in giving consumers of naturally curly hair effective and eco-conscious products that are natural and safe for all ages to use. In 2002, Dellinger pioneered the newly natural market when she launched Carl's, a family of organic hair care products targeted for women embracing their natural textures, which is a market previously unanswered by the beauty industry. Dellinger's astute business acumen and natural talent for delivering market-driven products gave way for an instant demand for her product line. Soon after Carl's was available all over the U.S., Canada, Brazil, Africa, and the U.K., as CEO and founder of Curls, Dellinger single-handedly built a strong demand for her popular family of organic products, which is carried in Target, Sally Beauty, Walmart, and CBS. Curls has been featured in a host of beauty publications, including InStyle, Essence, Glamour, Ebony, Seventeen, Black Enterprise, Elle, Modern Salon, and a host of other hair and salon trade publications. Discerning celebrity consumers like Halle Berry, Alicia Keys, Neil Long, Tia Mari, Blair Underwood, and Ashanti, they all speak the superior quality and natural components of Carl's products. The retail success and exposure of the Carl's brand has catapulted the business forward. Dillinger is a sought-after industry expert with her own show on OWN. She served as a panel expert at Black Enterprise Magazine Vision 2020 Entrepreneur Conference and was invited back to speak at their Women of Power Summit. She's pretty much phenomenal, amazing, so inspiring. She's been featured in several television shows throughout the nation, and today she's here with us. I cannot wait to introduce you to the one and only Mahisha Dellinger. Mahisha, thank you so much for joining us on the Million Dollar Women podcast. I'm so excited to have you here with me today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. You know, your story is really inspiring and one that I think so many of our listeners can really resonate with. I love that you started your company um, only after in the corporate world. You said at one point, I was not planning on being an entrepreneur. Right. So talk to me about your experience in corporate a little bit and how you got into entrepreneurialism. Absolutely. So I actually uh, became an intern for Intel Corporation um, in my junior year. And so it was an amazing experience in their um, IT marketing department. Um, and it was, I had a phenomenal time. I did like 90% of the copywriting for their computing news publication. And then I went from that to doing a lot of intranet um, articles, and interviews. And then from there, I started doing big projects. And when I was done with my internship, I didn't want to leave. I had such a great time. So the VP said, we'll let you stay on as a, as a tip. So you can work on the days that you're not in school. So I worked Monday, Wednesday, Friday, full time and went to school Tuesday and Thursday, full time. And I did that all the way until I graduated. And I had the best time. It was a fast paced, crazy environment that I really thrived in. And I was able to pursue my passions and, and really just explore. Um, and so I was having a good time. And then after graduation, I had, upon graduation, I had two different job offers inside the company. So I took one of the two and was set out to make my mark and really do a crazy, amazing job for Intel. And I was proud to be an Intel employee. 
And per Intel policy or the corporate environment, they like for employees to shift jobs every 18 months or so. That gives you a full rounded perspective of the company. That's what they like and promote. So I had about four or five different positions um, inside the department. And I moved to another department and had this experience with one of the managers who didn't take a liking to me. Now that's okay because not everyone's going to like you per se, but typically you get respect and you do a good job and you know, you form a relationship. So that was my goal is to, you know, show him the star that I am. Um, and it was quite daunting when he, this manager put me on a corrective action plan. That's Intel's way of getting rid of an employee after six months of documented, you know, um, issues. And I was so stressed, surprised. I couldn't believe it. I cried. I was so disappointed. I was embarrassed. I was a single young mother that did not have someone to turn to for my financial support. Um, I was thinking on this as being the place I retired. I was thinking on climbing up the corporate ladder and making my mark. And so having this happen was just just shifting for me, it shifted me into another place emotionally. And I realized what it was because I thought, okay, this is me, Mahisha. I am the first one in, the last one out. I sit on different boards. I present before, before the organization on several occasions. I do a great job in my job. And I'm also doing other things. I did everything I was told to do that it's required to, you know, to grow there. And I couldn't understand it. And I remember just praying and I don't know how PC this is, but I believe in God, but I prayed. I said, God, you have to move this manager away because I was trying to move out of the department because I saw what was going on. And every time that someone would call, he would bash my name. There was this one job where the manager said, you have everything I'm looking for on your resume. You've done all these things that we need, but your manager has said so many things about you that I can't hire you. So I couldn't even leave. I was just stuck. And the fate was that I was going to be fired. And at some point, I would have found another job, 100%. I don't know. I didn't know when. I had a daughter to feed. And I was beyond stress. So I prayed. I said, God, you have to move this man out because he's blocking me. And a few weeks later, he came back and said that he took a promotion to Intel Malaysia and that he was going to be going away. And he told the whole group. And I got a new manager when he left. And that new manager... Um, actually, you know, was totally amazing, fine, had a good time with him and didn't have any issues. But I was so tormented by that experience that I interviewed out. I went to another department inside of Intel, four buildings away. And we had our annual review as we do every year. You have that review in January for the year prior. And I was there from November to January. So really only a few months in my new department. So all of my... Um, all of the review, all of the review materials from built up in my old previous department. So that's just to give you context. So we go, I go into my, my review and I was actually rated faster than my peers. When Mr. McCarthy named me slower than my peers, I got a raise, a, a host of stock options and applauded for my hard work. And so that was a full circle moment for me because I thought, am I crazy? What am I doing wrong? And it was my first time experiencing that. Um, and the treatment was horrible and I realized it wasn't me. I knew it wasn't me, but it was really that full circle moment. So at that moment, I realized I am never going to be in this position again. I said, no one's going to ever have the opportunity to own my financial destiny, even if it's for a few months. I'm going to take control and decide how far I go, how much money I make, what I do with my life. And I set upon creating a business. I didn't know what it was going to be yet. I just knew I had to do something else. And my fiance at the time, now my husband, took me on a trip to Santa Barbara, California. And over dinner, we, I pulled out a napkin and wrote down some ideas. And the one thing that he said to me is that, Mahisha, you're always mixing and matching and, and making stuff at home for your hair. Um, you should do something to hair care. And I thought, that's interesting. Maybe. Let me do the due diligence and do the research and see what's out there. And really, back then, the ethnic aisle didn't have products that I wanted. Um, everything was really heavy with oils, synthetic oils, relaxers, perms. I didn't want any of that. So it was really, truly an opportunity because there was also a trend going on where um, it's not a trend anymore because it's been so, so many years, but women of color were for going relaxing. Many, many women were moving away from the chemicals and going back to natural. So I launched Curls during a time where this movement had just started. 
And it happened to be a wonderful opportunity because I launched in that time and grew with the movement and I've been around since. So that was kind of my journey. And I actually started the, the process of R and D, um, on lunch in a hotel, in a whole Intel conference room, eating my dinner, doing my, re- my lunch, rather eating my lunch and doing my research and make, you know, making calls, et cetera. And I did that for several, several, several weeks until I moved on to Pfizer pharmaceuticals. And I really believe that that whole experience though, really pushed me into my destiny. And so I really am now thankful for it because I could still be at Intel working away like I did um, so hard for another company instead of working hard for my legacy. That's amazing. So this is what I find so fascinating about it, right? Is that uh, not only are you moving now from corporate world to the entrepreneurial world, which in and of itself is a huge jump, mm-hmm. but you also moved industries, right? Mm, yes. Now you're slipping into the beauty industry. So was that, what was that like, learning this industry as an entrepreneur so quickly? Because you really hit it really hard. Was it easy? Was it hard? How did you educate yourself in that? Well, you know, the good thing, about starting small is that I was able to make all these hiccups without being noticed. <laughs> I had hiccups, but it, they weren't noticed because I was so small. Um, despite having exceptional personal credit, I could not get a business loan to save my life. Mm. So that was a challenge because there, it takes money to do, you know, to launch a business. There's a lot of money to launch a business. So really? I took the personal savings that I got and, you know, bonuses, et cetera, from Intel and put it into the business. And I started very small. Initially, I wanted to go into large retailers. Not a good idea. Glad I didn't because there's a lot of demands and costs to do so. So I started online, 100% e-commerce based. And I flipped the switch that one April day. And by the end of the day, I had like eight orders. And I was like, yes, I had eight orders. I was so excited. I will wow. never forget. Um, that was the biggest thing to have eight orders. Uh, we were live actually- on SEO back then. Yeah, I was going to say that's a really actually very challenging thing to do. A lot of people think, oh, I'm just going to, you know, go and, um, you know, start my company. I'm going to uh, license this name. I'm going to open an account. I'm going to create a website, get business cards, and I'm going to get right. clients. That's not how it works. So was there a marketing strategy behind those eight sales when you hit the slope? when you hit that switch? Well, you know, the good thing about me is that my major, I'm a business major, concentration in marketing. So I knew how to create a business plan, a marketing plan. I knew all of that. That was my, you know, my passion actually. So that was a lot easier for me, but think about it. It was before social media, no Facebook, no Instagram, no bloggers, influencers to pump your product, none of that. So it was a lot of grassroots work that I did. So um, yeah, it was a lot of work. So SEO was obviously thriving. So we, I utilized that quite a bit to get people to search and organically for curly hair products and really focused on that. But I also went where the consumer is. So lots of gifting, lots of events. Um, back then there were, there were chat groups and specifically for curly hair chat groups. And actually this is a website called naturally, naturally curly.com, which is still live and thriving today. Um, they had this site where people would come in and talk about their hair challenges and all day long, like seriously all day. And so we had banners on naturalcurly.com. Every place that talked about curly hair, I was, and it was very strategic and very focused. I didn't have money for TV commercials. None of that. Right. I didn't have that kind of money. So I had to really, really zoom, zoom in and be very, very strategic about everything. Very cool. I'm curious. Was there anything that you took away from your corporate career um, that you implemented into your entrepreneurial venture? Was there anything from Intel that I took over into my entrepreneurial world? Yes. Oh, I can definitely say that my my sense of hard work. I mean, uh, if you can make it at Intel, you can make it anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I promise. Like it was, and, and you know, I did well because I really thrive in and in, in really I'm a fast paced type A personality. So. Right. It worked well for my, for my personality type, but it taught me hard work, determination, organization, leadership, a lot of great things. Definitely. So it really kind of rounded you out and really set you up for that entrepreneurial success and being able to project manage and see things through, I would imagine. is a And beyond that, really presenting in front of a tough audience. Oh, yeah. That, that was the biggest thing, I think, because um, I was a young African-American woman that when I left Intel was a project manager, I had people older than me under me. So dealing with that, getting pushing past that, earning respect, quickly doing so. I mean, all those things, navigating that world, political world, whole nother beast. And that really helped. 
Yeah. And you did it all by yourself at the beginning, which is a lot to do. And I saw you mentioned on, um, on your television show on OWN that if I didn't have a support system, I would not be here. Quote, yeah. My husband so, was amazing. Like I definitely have, we, I had a child, as you know, um, already. And when we got engaged, so I brought my, you know, obviously we, I had a little daughter and then we wind up having three additional kids. Now, two of those three kids we're back to back in the height of the launching of curls. And while I was working at Pfizer to a toddler and a baby, <laughs> that was a lot. That was a lot. <laughs> yeah, was a lot. I mean, I really, it was, it's all a blur because it was just so crazy. It was insane. So how did you manage that? How did you do that? Cause there's so many women that they, you know, that is, that, that is what holds them back is they've got all these hats that they have to wear in both their personal lives, their professional lives, these goals that they're trying to break through. Like how, was that, I mean, there is no balance. So how did you make that happen? Well, again, okay. So my husband was the biggest resource, um, together we worked as, as, as a team and we still do to this day. I mean, it's still more of them than us still to this day. I mean, there were always more of them than us. Out so, <laughs> they, they, they can, you know, we can have a coup any day, but they, so it's really about the teamwork, him believing in, in me and, and the opportunity, the business. Um, and then we got, so between the two of us, we also had to bring in a, a, a nanny to help because we, I worked from home though during that time, but I had a nanny come in. And so how I structured my day is she would come in like at 7 a.m. And so she would do the feeding and breakfast and I would, you know, sit down and, you know, have breakfast with, with them and play a little bit and then go back and work and then stop maybe and play a little bit and go back and work. It was a lot of choppiness in my day. Like I would stop, play, stop, play, you know, do that all throughout the day. And that required me to work more into the evening because my day was choppy. But mm-hmm. I was home and didn't miss out on like them walking or, you know, them saying mama or whatever. I was still there. And my house at the time was a very open concept um, home. So they were busy typically when I, when I was working right by me or running behind me or, you know. So I felt it felt easier for me to be a mom and be at home working than being away. That's awesome. That sounds like a really great way to kind of get balance and great advice for those new moms that are trying to figure out how to make it all work. Did you ever have times though, where you felt like you really needed to kind of get away? I would imagine. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I actually definitely for sure. And there, this is place in Half Moon Bay, California. That was my second home whenever I got stretched, stressed out. Um, the Ritz Carlton in Half Moon Bay, Google it. It is like no other. And uh, I would go and just sit by the, the end of the, 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 the island there, right on the side of the Pacific Ocean, just listening to the waves. And I would just do nothing for seven hours. That was my place to retreat. Um, but I also had this um, really bad case of postpartum depression with mm-hmm. the last two children. So the odds happen that if you have postpartum one time, the likelihood of you getting it again after your next pregnancy increases, like they think it doubles. And so it was all, all like we knew it was automatically I was going to have postpartum again. So the decision was, do we want to risk this and, and, and go through this horrific experience again? We chose to do so. Our baby's here. She's seven now, but we, it was even worse the second time. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was a lot, like it, a lot postpartum work, kids, you know, husband, business. It, it was a lot. It was definitely a lot. That is a lot. And meanwhile, you know, you're working this business, you're trying to make it happen. And in one of your interviews, you said, and then one day I got a call from Target. And I was thinking to myself, one does not just simply get calls from Target. (laughs) (laughs) So talk to me about that ginormous breakthrough in your business in the midst of all of this craziness in your life and how you were able to fulfill that. Yeah. You know, that was interesting. I was, and to believe, believe it or not, it was the easiest sell of my entire life. Wasn't expecting it. So in the target buyer, her name was Linda Sullivan. Amazing woman. Still love her to this day. Blonde hair, blue eyed buyer for ethnic hair care that decided to take a chance on my brand, my brand and three other ethnic brands. She saw that her sales for relaxers were down. And of course, every buyer has a requirement to grow. They have to continue to grow. And you're, you're down, down, down. She said, I have figure out something else to do. I, this isn't working. What's going on in this community? They're not buying these products anymore. And so she started to do her research and saw that me and another few brands were underground brands per se at the time, but we had some interest there. She thought they're, they're interesting. I'll give them a test. 
She put the four of us on an end cap, which is prime real estate in 105 stores to test. And she said, if you do well, we'll keep you and grow with you. If not, we're going to ship all the products back and you'll get this bill for the return and be on your way. So we had this test and we all did phenomenally well. And so we went from 105 stores to 300, from 300 to 600, and then to eight, and then, you know, 12 and then nationwide. And as she did that, she kept adding additional brands with us. And so she created the new Linda Sullivan and Target create this newly natural market in retail. Because before these natural brands like Curls and all the others were not in retail stores. So she is the purpose of why everyone started to copy that model because they were losing all money. They were still selling those old pioneer brands when Linda got with the hip and new. And so she skyrocketed and now everyone else at that point started to call me. People that we pitched and we got no, no, no's all the time, including Sally Beauty, Walmart, but they were now interested. So that's what it took was that opportunity from Linda Sullivan. And I continue to thank her. Hair and blue eyes. Who would have thunk that it would have taken a blondie to get that ethnic <laughs> brand yeah. into the store? That's like, amazing. Yeah, she's like, listen, I have to get my my bonus. I got what's going on. You know, it wasn't working. Whatever was happening, and so she did her research. And most don't do that, but she did. That's amazing. I love that. So, talk to me a little bit about you know what that's like because you mentioned at the beginning, you know, you cannot get a business loan to save your life. You had impeccable personal credit. So you were using your personal savings and self-funding. You had a chemist, you're manufacturing these products on a small scale because you started small. So how did you grow into that? Because if you're going into 150 stores, you know, there's so many people that dreams of bringing this tangible product to market, but have no idea what it takes to get there. So kind of give me a taking tangible product to market for dummies kind Mm. of. Okay. Play by play. Absolutely. So what happens, you say, if you pitch and you get a meeting or someone calls you, but typically it'll be you pitching to get a meeting, typically they don't call you. Uh, That's not normal. I want to say that. So if you pitch your product and you actually happen to get a meeting, then what's expected of you is to come to that meeting with an amazing presentation of not only your brand, the mock-up of the products, the price point, meaning the retail and their cost. And you want to talk about your, who your consumer base is and most importantly, how are you going to market it? Retail space is extremely high and it's hard to get, lots of competition. So they need to know exactly how you plan to move units off of their shelves. So you want to come up with a very um, robust support system of how you plan to move those units. Um, and make sure, very important, this is the one place that most of us fail. Um, and I would say most of our, us you know, women-based businesses fail and really digging into the numbers. Um, there'll be questions that you'll need to know, um, about your numbers. So basically what are your margins? Um, what's your lead time, your turnaround time? Can you shave off 10%? If you don't know what your costs are, you don't know if you can afford that additional 10%. Know what your floor is. Like how much are you willing to shave off if they ask? And then knowing what is acceptable to, to decline and to receive, because sometimes they will try to take as much as they can from you, the retailers, as much as possible. And so it's up to you to know what's fair, what's not, um, and make sure that you know your industry and be willing to give a little bit because that's going to be important, but don't give the shirt off your back. Um, so, and come in obviously very confident um, and, and personable. And that you are the reason why nine times out of 10 past your presentation, you are the reason why they decide to invest in a brand. So it's up to you. You're, you're selling you. And it's up to you to make it click and kick. That's really interesting. And one of the things that you just said that I think really strikes a chord for me, regardless of whether our listeners are wanting to, you know, pitch their product for retail or not, it's actually a very universal business lesson is in the negotiation process, being willing to give a little bit, but not giving the shirt off of your back. And I think that that's something that regardless of what business you're in, we all face in one way or another. And there is this really interesting fine line between that point where you're giving and Uh giving and giving 
And then all of a sudden you cross with this line where all of a sudden it doesn't feel like giving, it's being taken. So how do you differentiate? What is that limitation like? And how do you um, decipher, manage that point where you're like, okay, no longer is this a give. I'm, this is a, this is a take and it's not mutually beneficial at this point. How do, what, do you have any lessons or insight into helping entrepreneurs kind of decipher between Yeah, I hear you. Well, it's different for every industry. So for example, in my industry, in the beauty world, I'm dealing with retailers versus say OTC. OTC is over the counter, which when we refer to over the counter, we're thinking like the Korean beauty supply stores where people buy, you know, side neighborhoods. So that's a separate market. And then think of the retail landscape. That's like Target, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. They operate completely different. They're both selling my product, but they op- operate completely differently. OTCs will ask for <laughs> the moon, everything. Right. Um, and you have to will it down to what's normal. And typically, how do you determine what's normal? If you have a broker, they've been in the business and they work with the, these brands and these and these different um, distributors, they can tell you. A mentor in your industry can tell you. If you're brand new and it's a different industry that you've never been in, you won't know unless you ask someone that's done it before. Um, Because there isn't a handbook out there to tell you, well, in this industry, this is what they should normally get. And you get this and you ask for that. You have Mm -hmm. to bring someone on board to help you. And one thing we need help with is, as for sure, for as, you know, base of women, we need help with negotiating and being comfortable negotiating. Yes. Um, That's important because we we tend to feel like if I don't, if I push back, I'm going to, they're going to walk away. No, every man negotiates. And they're used to it, but we tend to just say yes, because we want the deal, but talking, there's nothing wrong with talking. Just, you know, say, Hey, well, if they ask you for, I need additional 10% off your products. Can you do so? You don't have to say yes, because you want the account. You can say, I really can't do 10%. Can I give you additional two points and, and talk back and forth? A closed mouth will not get fed. And that's one thing that I don't have a problem with because of my background, because I came from nothing. So I have to ask. I'm going to keep every coin that I can, but I have a different background and I'm a little more aggressive natured. Right. So, but I've noticed that a lot of women aren't. And why do you think that is Mahi? Why do you think women are that way? Well, I think it's a part of our race. Like, you know, good girls don't, or, you know, you want to be nice. Don't be considered the, you know, the angry woman or the aggressive one because you're, you're the B word. And, and I don't, I don't subscribe to that. I feel like, and some people may have called me that at some point, <laughs> potentially, but guess what? I have a brand to protect and I have kids to feed. So yeah. I will always be the, a professional, but I'm going to ask for what I want. That is so needed. And I think a message that so many people need to hear, myself included. So I'm really excited to get into this direction because I didn't anticipate us going this way. But to that point, you know, it is sometimes really tough to swallow that pill of, you know, not everybody's going to like you. And unfortunately, you know, you're going to encounter that on your way to the top. And um, I'm curious kind of how you have been able to um, cope with that. You know, it sounds like a lot of that has been just your drive for your business and your bottom line. But at the end of the day, you're a woman, you have feelings. So is there a time that pops up for you that you can recall, you know, really feeling misunderstood and how you were able to rise above? Well, let's see. You know, a lot of times the buyers in my category, my world, um, are not black women typically, even though we're selling products to black women, they're not typically, the buyers aren't typically black. So when we're talking to the buyers, a lot of times we're educating them on an industry that they are buying for, but they don't know much about. Um, and so, and I want to be PC here because I don't know who's going to (laughs) listen. Of course, it's okay. We can take a fake name. Stores. Kind of like pausing and thinking. Um, so I've had to combat personalities of women because they're typically women, but not black women that have had um, an issue personally with me. Maybe it's my strength. I don't know what it is. Um, and you can see it, like you know, off put. And I, I always go above and beyond to make sure that I'm professional, warm, and inviting. But there's been one that actually two in, in the terms of 16 years that I've had to go above and beyond to work past. And that's, you know, that's hard, but you know, it's for the betterment of my business, but it's interesting because I'm thinking, I thought in this meeting, like I have the numbers here, you see what we're doing, you see my sales, you see my growth, you see my market share. 
why are we still debating if this is something you want to bring into your store? And you know, it's more than just that, you know, it's something else. So I had to go, I had to work through that. And one time it took three years, Mm. three years. That's a long time. That's a, that's a long time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, fascinating. So talk to me a little bit about, uh, when, with your industry and in your industry, regardless of buyer relationship, employee relationship, I mean, all the different relationships that you've had to cultivate to get to where you're at at this stage in the business. What is something that people do in your industry that drives you insane? Like, hmm. what are some of your biggest peeves in the business hmm. that you've had to kind of navigate through? Hmm. Well, I think one of the things that really annoys me, and what I just mentioned it really, is not having the people in the industry that know the, the, the customer base. It's a lot of that. Like I have to know my customer base, but it's, it, it obviously makes sense. I am the customer. So I get her easily. I am her. Um, but it drives me batty how people are positioned to represent people. They don't even know who they are. They haven't taken the moment, the time, the energy to know their customer base. And that happens more than you think. So decisions are made you know, in this, in this bubble that impacts women, black women, women of color, and they don't even take the time to really even survey us and understand us at all. That's a little bit challenging. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And, you know, I just saw that with the um, Dolce & Gabbana ad, like they had an ad, I don't know if you saw this, but they had this big issue in China. They had a very controversial ad. It's on my Instagram page. I posted not one, I bet not one person was Chinese on that board on the marketing department um, because it was very insulting. And so many of the people, different companies, different um, e-commerce people took them out of their stores and wow. it was a big deal. And they, and the Chinese people represent 33% of luxury buys purchases, 33%. Wow. Are Chinese. So good going Dolce & Gabbana. So that's an example. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a prime example right there. Good going Dolce & Gabbana. It's crazy to think that at such a high level that those mistakes still happen, you know? And it's yeah. um, it's something that we're going to have to constantly move through, right? In business, mistakes are part of it. Do you feel like you're drowning in administrivia? Do you have a podcast you would like transcribed to repurpose as a blog or even a best-selling book? Rhonda's virtual office is the answer to the freedom you crave so you can get busy doing what you love. Let Rhonda's virtual office give you the relief you need. Visit rondasvirtualoffice.com and get some peace of mind today. Rhonda's virtual office is the go-to transcription service for EWN Podcast Network. When you um, maybe launch something new or try something new that doesn't go according to plan, what do you have like a system or a process that you can share with our listeners in terms of how you pivot and recover from making costly errors? Hmm. Well, um, I had one thing that happened early on. Um, I had to improve the packaging. That was very, very early on. It was not so nice. Um, the labeling and, you know, the bottles I had to learn, but that was e-commerce, you know, and I was still small. So when I went to Target the night, I had, you know, switched gears and before that and got that together. Um, I did make a mistake that cost a lot and it wasn't about, um, it wasn't about packaging like that, but I launched a brand that failed and it was another subset that went to target. It was my, I've talked about this in Forbes, my most recent Forbes article that they wrote just like two weeks ago. It was a $70,000 mistake that, taught me a lot. Um, I went to market really fast with this collection that I thought, oh, I know what I'm doing. And I've launched this collection target. I get so many sellers. I'm doing so well. I can just throw anything together. I'm going to get this out for the women with kinky hair. And I didn't do what I know I should have done. I didn't take the time to really cultivate as much as I should have. There were so many things I could have done better that I didn't because I got comfortable. Mm -hmm. And as a result, it flopped and it got kicked out. And that came with a $70,000 bill. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a good lesson. Uh, And I talked about that in my most recent article. Yeah. And I really feel like that taught me, okay, you can never get too comfortable. 
Absolutely not. Even if you're heading on the right track, you're going to get ran over if you just sit there, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> I forget who said that quote, but that is one of my absolute favorites. Um, and your advice is so invaluable because here's what I find really interesting about you and your story, right? Is that, you know, a lot of people that, um, you know, start a beauty brand or a beauty line, especially, especially when I think about the history of hair care lines and some of the big ones and are oftentimes started by a hairstylist or hairdressers or people in the beauty space that, you know, encounter like the hole on the market from their professional background within the industry. You came from a completely different space and just your own personal need and what you saw as a hole in the market. Really, it's not because of your love of the beauty industry. It's just because you're a savvy business woman. And so your, your, your driving force and your passion has always not necessarily been the industry, but it's really been in how can I help women and, and impact women for the better. And, uh, and you've done a lot beyond curls to that. So can you talk to us a little bit about you and your driving force, um, huh. you know, beyond yeah. the hair brand? So me at what drives me, is that what you're asking? Yeah. What drives you and how you, how, all the amazing things that you're doing beyond your, your amazing curls company. Yeah. So I have, I have a lot going on, but uh, <laughs> you want to start with the driving, what drives me or what I have going on. I Let's hear your drive. Let's hear about your drive. Yeah. So my drive, this is interesting. And I, it's one thing I always say that you can't teach someone grit. It's something that you're either born with or you inherit because of your environment. I think for me, it was a ladder. I, I was born into a very ugh, dysfunctional, impoverished, like sad, um, no, no way out environment. And most people in my community and my family are still in those circumstances of just generational cycles of poverty that keep persisting. And I'm the only one that broke the chain for me and my family. So th- growing up the way I did, where most people were, most of my friends were pregnant by 15, some of their brothers didn't make it to 18. My brother, who is four years older than me, we lived in the same home, grew up together with my mother, single mom, had the same exact opportunities, but he decided to take a different path. He became a drug dealer, a gangbanger, got our house shot up multiple times, drive-bys, home invasions, just everything you can see and imagine be around that you don't want your kids to be involved with or around. We experienced, and so it created in me a desire to shift and change that for me, my family, and my legacy. And my drive comes from never, ever, ever again wanting to live like that in my entire life. I, I work beyond hard to not be poor again. That's amazing. That's really inspiring. And it's, uh, it's inspiring to hear that, you know, you're not, um, it's not about the cards that you're dealt all the time about what you decide to do with them. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you really are a living example of not making excuses for the hand that you have. And yes. Yes, I, I feel. I felt my my motto is, you know, okay. I was I was given lemons, so I'm gonna make the best taste in lemonade money can buy. Amen to that. I love it. I absolutely love it. So, you have since created, you know, your um, nonprofit, right? Mm-hmm. You want to talk to us a little bit about that because that kind of is, I feel, very in alignment with, you know your driving force that you just shared with me. Okay. So curls, girls, world, the world or black girls making millions academy. I have two. Well, I was so touche, touche. We have multiples that we're talking about. So I know I'm familiar with the black girls making millions academy and I'm really okay. excited about that, but I'd love to hear about curls, girls, world, the world, because I am a curly girl too. I will have, you know, <laughs> well, your hair is beautiful. I can tell you have texture because when it's straight, it's still full. So that tells yeah. a lot. I can tell when you straighten your hair, like if someone has curly hair, so oh. curls, girls, world, the world. Um, I'll say, I'll talk about that briefly and go into black girls making millions. Because I came from the projects and disenfranchised young black girl without hope of changing that, I wanted to go back and reach back to girls like me and go give them what they need to get out of their current circumstance. And what do you need? You need the information, you need the resource, you need the access to change your life, right? And that's what we didn't have, those those three things. So that's exactly what we provide. So we go into different cities and we take a hundred girls at a time and we actually connect them, not for the moment, for the month, but for life with a mentor in their industry that they want to be in. So if someone says they want to be an attorney, we have them with an attorney, a judge, a lawyer, whatever they want to be. We have to cultivate that mentor to be prepared for that role. And really that takes the most time. Um, And we bring them together. 
And we have this, we bring them together in their meeting. We have the luncheon where they first meet and take the time to do all that legwork and get them together. Um, and that's when they finally get together and sit and meet and talk over lunch um, with an amazing program. And we just spoil them like crazy and get the conversation relationship built. And we check in on the mentors. And from there, they, they, they take over. And we train the mentors. And then we go to other cities and do the same thing. Um, and so that's Curls Curls with the World. Um, and we started in New York City. We brought in Yonkers girls into Manhattan and gave them an amazing experience and left them with their mentor for life. Um, and I will circle back and go back home to Sacramento um, soon. And so that's my near dear to my heart. And then after I finished my show on OWN, uh, Mind Your Business with Mahisha, I got lots of calls and emails and DMs. Can you mentor me? Can you mentor me? And I'm so busy. I have four kids. Five, me clue my husband. I have five kids because I have a husband. So, and a business. <laughs> so I can't mentor everyone solo. And I thought, what can I do to bring the show to life? And I thought, all right, well, I see what the needs are. And so I decided to create this academy. It's called Black Girls Making Millions Academy, creating millionaires one black girl at a time. And we have three different sects that you can choose from, um, course tracks you can choose from to sign up for. So the first one is the startup. That is for the woman who hasn't started her business yet, but she needs help doing everything from the DBA, legal structure, everything you need to get going. Track two is the come up, and they're more like the woman on the show. They have a business, but they need help growing the business. And the final track is the blow up. And the blow up is well, women who need funding. So they need they want to come and pitch their business, their brand for funding. And so they we have a four, four-day retreat. We already booked the resort. We're doing this June 6th to the 9th. And we put registration up and it was sold out in 30 minutes. Wow. And How then many we, people had, we had like 30 minutes, right? So then we had three ladies fall out for different reasons. And so we opened up a waiting list and then the three, we opened it up, we gave them two days notice and then a countdown. And we opened up three slots, two startups and one come up were open. And then those were gone in 10 minutes. So it was like, okay, this is a good thing. We have to figure out how to make this larger and do it bigger after we get our feet wet with this one then we'll figure out how to go larger for next year that's so exciting and really really powerful and impactful and um you know i'm like how can i get on this sign up list right now (laughs) (laughs) and i have friends of mine they're like mahisha can i just like come with you (laughs) you need someone to hold your hold your pencil when you're not using it (laughs) i'll sharpen it I think that that's so amazing and really powerful, and it, and it's uh, it's amazing that you've been able to take your television um, exposure and that platform and that voice to really impact women in a larger way. Uh, you want to talk a little bit with me about how even that experience came about? I love that you said in an interview that I saw that I am not. Don't call me a reality star. That is not me. That's not I know. What I know. <laughs> and your mission and behind that, I think, is really really cool. So, was this television? kind of venture and creating this platform to serve an audible always part of like the business plan or was this uh, uh-huh. something that no. sort of, you know, <laughs> so tell me no. about that. You know, okay. So now people ask me that all the time and I go, no, like I never set out to be on TV. Like I like to watch TV sometimes when I have time, but like I right. never had a goal of, I just wanted to be wealthy and, and stable. And so this fell on my lap. And it is so interesting how it happened. I got called from the producer. They wanted to do a reality show about black hair care brand owners. And I thought this could be interesting. So I went in and met with them. If it was with the right ladies and the right brand owners, because there are hosts of us. Most of us are all black women in my category, one man. Um, and it could be interesting if we had the right cast. I don't want any drama. So let's see who they're looking to partner me with. And that fell through. And so that was like fine with me. And then I got a call, I don't know, maybe a year later that they love my interview and they had an idea for another show. And it was titled Seven Figure Sisters. I think that's what they called it. And they said, your personality, personality stuck out of the pack and we thought you could be great for this. And they came to meet me and I'm like, this is interesting. And my husband said, as long as I don't have to be on TV and you don't put my babies on TV, you can do it. I'm like, oh yeah, totally. <laughs> so it, no, no family. It was all about me helping other women. So we created the sizzle, went to two different networks. I uh, went to OWN and BET. Uh, BET, him and Hog for too long and OWN swooped it up. And so then we signed a deal with OWN and that's how it came about. It happened very quickly. It was interesting. Yeah. So um, 
I wasn't sure how that was going to work. I, I'm not one that likes to do anything scripted. Like when I go on live TV, everything is off the cuff. I don't, don't give me a script because I won't remember it. <laughs> I won't remember it. And plus I can speak from my heart about my business. That's, I can do that in my sleep about my business. But going on TV and, and then having to obviously have organization was different. So everything you saw on TV, none of it was scripted. What we did, um, they obviously they had to create a path of what they wanted to get done that day. So we had scenes and what they wanted to get out of from me, what me, to, what, what they wanted me to, you know, obviously get out of that scene or accomplish. They had a lot of stuff set up for them, like time shoots and where we're moving and what time we're doing this. But for me, they said free fall, go for what you know, and let the conversation flow. And that's what we did. I love it. And, you know, I was telling you before um, we started recording that I, I have to say, so I, you know, I don't have cable. I'm not watching TV, nor do I really keep up with the news that are coming out. So when I was kind of researching you, I came upon the show, obviously, and I am like addicted. It is so good. (laughs) So I highly, yeah, a lot of really valuable lessons and you can tell when these shows are scripted. So I love that you didn't go that direction and really, you know, stuck to your own gut on that and stayed true to yourself and strong on your no. <laughs> yes. And, and, and cause it comes across genuine and it, and it comes across real. And I think that that's a very, it's a, it's, it's such a breath of fresh air and the unscripted television space, the unscripted scripted television space that currently exists, you know? Right. And you know what the mixture, I think the, the purpose of the show is to be a mixture of the shark tank meets the profit with a sprinkle of the Olympics in my life. So, you know, the shark tank, the profit is very similar to my show, but it's a guy and he's helping businesses. And then the Olympics in my life is the emotional piece that comes with every business owner. There's always some sort of counseling that has to happen because if your business is failing, something in your life is typically going to fail. So it's failing. So that is part of the the whole mix, the show. That's what it really was, that the hodgepodge. It's awesome. It's and I congratulate you on that because I feel like that's a slot that so many women entrepreneurs would love to be in and to be able to make an impact. And you are doing it. And what I love even more is that you're using that platform and that voice that the show's created to serve on an even higher level and a higher scale, which in my opinion makes you like the quintessential million dollar woman because being a million dollar woman means something different to everyone. So I'm curious for you, what is your definition of a million dollar woman? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Hmm. Well, I, that's a very, you, I've never been stumped before. Ha ha. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, well, let's see. Let me think about that. The deep one. It is. Yeah. Because it could be so many things on the surface, you know, it can be deeper than that. I don't know. So I, when I see someone and I feel like, and I'm going to, take it off a tangent a little bit, but today's million dollar woman in my mind is someone who not only is successful in her personal life, but she also is successful in her business life. I mean, her personal and business life, because you can be successful in business and really struggle in your personal life. Oh, I have yeah. many friends like that. Um, and so having the full life, that's a millionaire life. Like I feel like I'm so blessed because not only do I have a thriving business and beautiful children, I have an amazing marriage. And so it's more than just having the money because money alone is nothing if you don't have someone to share it with. So I think it's a full circle. Do you have any big secrets to that for women that maybe have it all in their professional career, but are struggling Mm -hmm. personally? How do you keep that passion, that love alive and on the forefront amidst all of the things that you have to juggle? Yeah. And, you know, we just celebrated 15 years um, together, married, 18 years together, but 15 married. And because we didn't, I remember I told you I'd use my money to start curls. Um, we didn't have a wedding because we right. could, the choice was start our business and buy our starter home or have a wedding. So, cause I'm, of course my mother couldn't afford it. So we had a big wedding this year and the love, I actually just posted the video the snippet on my IG today, but the love with us is still so apparent. If you watch the video, I watched it a hundred times when the videographer sent it to me, because I see that we still have that love for each other. And I think it's, I married my friend and, but first and foremost, very attracted to him. <laughs> so, <laughs> one, like day one, when I met him in the Intel hallway, cause he worked for IBM, he came in to do a project. I met him. I said, I met my husband. 
I told my friend that she's like, you're silly. I'm like, no, I met my husband. And it was the instant attraction. And then when we started to speak and he was fiscally responsible and I was like, so like he was making great money, but he was riding a really old car. So it showed me he was responsible. And despite having, you know, making a lot of money, he was very, you know, downplayed in his dress. And I love that, that whole responsibility piece. And also so smart. And so physically and everything, it was a perfect match. And so I still look at him like he's hot. He's hot. (laughs) I love your honesty. I just think that that's so amazing. It is kind of important. I have to agree. So on that fun note and just your total transparency, I want to kind of wrap up the interview with a little bit of fun. So I'm going to do some rapid fire questions with you. (laughs) Um, So here we go. I've just got a few. I'm not going to overwhelm you. I promise. But we're going to go with first question, tea or coffee? A tea. Day or night? Night. Boys or girls? Oh, girls. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I'm sorry, but. You're like, I have both children. <laughs> I can't pick one. No, Coke or Pepsi? Oh, Pepsi. Gold or silver? Mm, depending. I like, I like both. Mm, flowers or chocolates? Flowers. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Or dogs? Dogs. Yes, I knew I liked you, Mahisha. <laughs> <laughs> and then last but not least, describe yourself for me in three words. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, determined, loving, yet aggressive. I think that makes for a really powerful combo. And I am so appreciative of all of the transparent, amazing nuggets that you've left with us today. You want to share, do you have one more, what I like to call a value bomb you want to drop on us before we part ways? Absolutely. I want to encourage every woman out there listening to me today that you can make it, you make your life what you want it to be. If you can dream it, you can make it. You have two choices when you go to sleep. You can wake up and chase your dreams or go back to sleep and dream your dreams. So the choice is up to you. Brilliant. Amazing. You're awesome. It has been such an honor to spend this past, I don't know, 45 minutes with you. You, thank you, Mahisha. Thank you so much. And I will speak with all of you next time on the Million Dollar Women podcast. Money, 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 money. Ooh, that was flat. Thank you for listening to Million Dollar Women. Calling all speakers. E-Women Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.